Okay, so a few minutes ago we released something in hopes of receiving something. To my knowledge, I'm the only one other than the Lord that has any idea what this message is about, so I'm going to ask you to trust him first and trust that he's going to help me to fulfill what we've asked him to do before we leave this place. If you don't pick up what you put down a few minutes ago, you're going to gain something else at this altar at the end of this service. My job as a pastor is to lead you to that. I'm just gonna lead you to the water so that you can drink. It's gonna be at this altar. It's gonna be that joy or that fullness or that peace or that hope that you were looking for, that you came here for. That's where we're going. So I want you to remain open, open-handed. I also wanna say this, for those of you who do not know what we're actually doing in this church right now, we are in the second of four, if not five tracks. The first one was, how is it we build a firm foundation in Christ? I don't know, we had 13 or 14 messages on that subject. We are very close to releasing um, a school, classes, follow-up to that 12, 13, 14 weeks series in cooperation with our Daily Bread University. To my knowledge, we're the only church in the country, if not the world, that is partnering with that organization uh, to have our own co-branded discipleship opportunity online. Okay? And that'll be taking place in the very near future. The second track, which is Freedom in Christ, we're about halfway through, and that track will also have its own courses, its own studies. Some of you want master's level teaching, you're gonna get it. Some of you want some input from counselors, you're gonna get it. In fact, I've spent a number of weeks recording some sessions with two of our very educated and incredibly good and adept licensed counselors in our own church, Eddie and Terry Caparucci. If you all would stand up, you're gonna see them in a lot of videos we've done together, so get used to them. Some of you already know them. Some of you are already seeing them, so thank you for your input. And they are, they, their topic is freedom in Christ as well. I'm touching on some of the things they talked about, but I'm giving you a big picture. We're halfway through building a discipleship school at this church. And, and you're gonna be a part of it. We're all gonna learn together. All right, now, this, this message is entitled Freedom, Truth Versus Consequences. If you do not have a faith in action sheet, raise your hand, somebody will bring one to you. We're not gonna have any slides today. We got a few up here. Thank you, Christy. All right, I'm gonna boil this down for you, okay? Uh, there are two kingdoms, that's it, two kingdoms. It's really simple, there's not three, there's not four, there's not five, there's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms in conflict with one another. When I say conflict, I mean serious, polarizing conflict between these two kingdoms. I would say also that they are polar opposites, there's two mindsets, there's two perspectives, there's two, two agendas, there are two ways to live, two ways to die, and they have distinctly clear opposite agendas with one another. There are two kingdoms, and they are totally sharing nothing in common. The first kingdom is led by a 
Trinitarian type structure. The head of that Trinitarian structure, according to the Bible, is Satan. The counterfeit version of the Father. The second part of that Trinitarian type hierarchy in this dark kingdom is the Antichrist, a counterfeit of Christ Jesus. The third member of that hierarchy in the darkest kingdom, the dark kingdom, is the false prophet, a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. Why counterfeit? Well, the first kingdom of dark, the darkness, the, the dark kingdom can't create anything, has no creative power. The only source, true original source of creativity is the creator. From the creator comes creativity. Uh, if you want more creativity in your life, you need more of the creator in your life. The darkness cannot create anything, cannot birth anything, cannot replenish itself, cannot regenerate, cannot add to its number. It has no, no ability to impart life, has no ability to create anything, so that everything that is represented in the dark kingdom is, was the original angels that fell from heaven. There, there's no more. They can't, they can't reproduce. There's no more, there's just those who fell and rebelled from heaven with Lucifer. That's it. Therefore, any demonic activity in the world today that the church is, is, is coming up against are the very same demons that were defeated at the cross. They, they know defeat. That's why they listen to us when we tell them what to do in the name of Jesus. So, there's no creativity, there's no life, only bondage. That's the dark kingdom. Now, on the other hand, the kingdom of God, well, it has a creator, it has originality, it has an alpha and an omega, the beginning and the end, and it has holiness and purity and truth and love. It can produce, it can reproduce, it can change, it can transform. Two opposing kingdoms, two agendas. The kingdom of darkness has no flashlights. They operate in the dark. One o'clock this morning, I was walking through a field in the dark. I don't know what we did before cell phones, but it was dark. Turn my flashlight on, now I can see. The kingdom of darkness has no flashlights. They just rumble about in the dark. Psalm 119, 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We have a spiritual flashlight. We can see where we're going by the word that God gives us and the word provides us light to see where we go. If we need clarity about direction, we have that clarity. We have a spiritual flashlight. We have the voice of God. We have the word of God. Okay? The darkness does not. Do the demons know the scripture? Absolutely. 
James 2, 17 and 19, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons tremble because they do understand the scripture. They actually have been given a preview of their outcome. It's funny, some of the, I've learned this early on in my, uh, in my time as a, as a minister, not to take everything at face value. I have met many believers in the church who knew a lot of scripture, but were very wicked people. Not a lot, but they knew the scripture. And they wore it as some sort of illusion on the outside that somehow that was in their heart on the, on the inside. They're called uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. I learned to discern. I learned to pray about. I learned to ask questions. I, I learned to wait. It doesn't happen often, but when you're a shepherd trying to perfect, uh, protect a flock, or you're a shepherd trying to protect children, or you're a counselor trying to protect, protect children, you go slower, you ask more questions. Knowledge is not a replacement for safety. Even the demons believe and shudder. The kingdom of darkness produces great bondage. Proverbs 6, 6 and 19. There are six things the Lord hates. If you could think of God hating something. If you have any hate in you, it's not so much a bad thing. Let me say it again. If you have hate in you, it's not so much a bad thing if the hate is directed towards sin and things that the Lord abhors. Not people, behavior, sin. So if you have hatred, just redirect it. It's appropriate. See, there's six things the Lord hates, seven he detests. Haughty eyes, arrogant, you know, arrogant eyes. Lying tongue. Lord hates a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Heart that advises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Well, it's not big on those. In fact, he's, he hates them. He finds them detestable. Let's, let's make note of that. Hey, listen. If God finds something detestable, it's really, really good if we find it detestable too. I mean, it really is. If we find it palatable, that's a problem. We find it, all right, whatever, that's a problem. You see, this is where you and I need to be on the side of detestable, <laughs> okay? Uh, I don't want to water this down because it doesn't need to be watered down. You and I need to hate these things, not the people who do them. Listen to me now. Hate these things. Find them detestable. Not palatable. Not excusable. Not rational. You can rationalize them. No. Detestable. 
Well, you can explain them. No, detestable, detestable. Did you hear what I said? Detestable. All right. Why does he hate these things? Well, why does he hate these things? That's a good question. Well, put it this way. He loves you, so he hates these things because these things bring harm to you. Why wouldn't he hate them? If he loves you and he doesn't want harm to come your way, he wants you to find these things detestable, as does he, because they harm others. I was watching this, gosh, it was so sad. I was watching this Dateline, that'll shock you, um, the other day of these two guys that went to prison, I don't know, they were in their 19, 20, 25 years, whatever it was, false testimony. I mean, the people later recanted, the eyewitnesses or the people, you know, they, they, it was just a bad court case. The people lied on the stand and these people went to prison for 20 plus years. Lord hates that. That's horrible. I can't imagine. And of course, everybody says they're innocent, but these guys were innocent. Isn't that something? The Lord hates wicked schemes. Hurt that's brought on vulnerable people. I'll tell you what, when a, when a, when a, when a single, older lady comes into my office and lays out this thing she saw on TV and how it just matched up with this phone call she got, how much money that she's gonna, thinking about giving to this organization or this whatever, I'm thinking to myself, oh dear God, thank you, I'm, I'm so glad you came. Don't do that. Buying into scams and God hates that. He does, it's detestable to him. Scammers. And he doesn't like conflict in the community. He doesn't like it when people's agenda and their ministry or their life is about putting other people down to raise themselves up. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like people who stir things up in the community against others. Proverbs 19 and five, a false witness will not go unpunished and whoever pours out lies will not go free. Psalm 58 and three, even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Proverbs 14 to 25, a truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful, basically ruins lives. Let's take another look at this dark kingdom as it pertains to the truth. Acts 5, you know this passage, it's disturbing. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied, oh gosh, I even hate saying it, lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. Oh. All right, let's put it into perspective. John 8, 43 and 47. Why? Jesus speaking. Why is my language not clear to you? One thing I will say about Jesus, he likes clarity. He doesn't speak necessarily with any ambiguity in mind. He wants you to be clear about what he says. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. Ooh, I don't want to be that guy. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Listen to this. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. We have a soon-to-be three-year-old granddaughter playing with uh, her toys the other day. She's looking at them, and uh, uh, this is kind of cool. The toy companies, you know, you probably know this. They're making toys, and you turn them over, and they're in English, and you turn them over, then they're Spanish or some other language. So I don't know if you know this, but scientifically, a child can learn a second language easiest when they're younger, right? So if you had missionaries who have babies on the field, they're going to probably end up being bi, if not trilingual. We got someone here that speaks how many languages? A lot. So Satan's native language isn't English. It isn't French. It isn't Swahili. It's lies. That's his language. He speaks his native language, which is lies. So that so that there's so many lies that come out of his mouth. He's seeking to create a reality other than the one that actually exists for him. Okay? He's seeking to create a reality other than the one on which he's destined to walk in and experience. Lies will create a second reality, not the reality we live in. If you don't like your reality, you're possibly vulnerable to lying about it so as to create one that's better than the one you're actually living. For a number of motives, we're gonna talk about those. But the lie will lead you into bondage, the truth will lead you into freedom. All right. He says, your native language is for your liar and a father of lies, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin, says Jesus. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Is that clear? <laughs> That's pretty clear. Why do people lie? Let's talk about that. First of all, can we agree that people lie? All right. Why do people lie? Why be dishonest? Where does that come from? What's... Where, why would we do that? And how would that benefit us? Or how does it benefit anyone who lies, who represents the wrong kingdom? Why? What is that? Maybe we want something. We want something over someone. A motivation to lie would be, I'm going to get something out of it, even though I don't tell the truth, I'll receive from that other person something that I need or I want. Commission, a paycheck, another three weeks of the relationship. Who knows? I might sell the house. I need something more, and I want something more than I want someone. And that starts with the Lord. I, I want a thing over a one. I want a thing over a person. I want you to see me in a certain light 
more than I, and, and I'm willing to compromise a relationship because of it. I'm willing to risk a relationship for you to temporarily see me as something that I'm not. That's the kingdom of darkness, the father of lies. That's, that's in keeping with their agenda. Um, I want attention, I want superiority, I want power, I want money, I want an identity, I want. Usually starts with I, it's followed by want, and then there's an object. Or there is a, um, an identity, there's an approval, there is a accolades, there's something that I'm deficient in, I'm gonna lie to you so that I can get what I'm deficient in, or I'm going to remain deficient in it, but get from you something that changes your perspective of me. And that was important enough for me to risk my relationship with the Lord and with you. Because that was more important than the, than the one, the person. Um, a displaced love. I need security. A displaced love for security, identity, power, status, independence. A need to be loved, a need to be needed, a need for attention. I, I need, those are deep-seated needs in me, therefore I'll lie to you so as you perceive me to not be deficient in them. And nor will I perceive myself to be deficient. And if I lie about it often enough, it becomes so familiar to me, it's actually like a truth. Uh, why else would people lie? Um, they don't wanna let, we don't wanna let each other down. Uh, people pleasers, you got these, you know, these people in your life, they desperately want to please. They don't want you to be disappointed. Maybe you came up with parents like that. What's worse than a parent being angry with you? Oh, there's far worse than a parent being angry with you. It's a parent being disappointed. What's far worse than your spouse being mad at you? Disappointed. What's far worse than your children being mad at you? Disappointed. That hurts. That you have to deal with. It's sort of easier just to create some sort of deceit so as to cover it. People pleasers want so bad to please, they don't want to let you down. So they'll tell you they did what they didn't do so you're not disappointed with them, thinking they'll get back to it and get it done and you won't notice. That's another thing about lying I find very interesting. We don't think the other person knows we're lying, but we're so bad at it, right? It's so easily noticeable, nine times out of 10. We quantify first. Look at quality second. If we're really bad at this, we wear a mask. Or people that you're trying to reach with the gospel or your neighbors or the people in your life or at the dry cleaners or that work at your club or the landscaper. They've become accustomed to telling when you what you want to hear, but all you really want to hear is the truth. Are you coming next week? Five months later. Right? It's just natural. It's become a part of our, our, you know, the way we live. Well, where does that start? What's the fountain, the original fountain that the, the, they speak this native language of lives? What's the fountain this comes out of? First Timothy 6 and 10. 
For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through the many sorrows. My point here, and I think Paul's point to Timothy is this. When we love something and covet it because it completes us or defines us or fills a deficiency in our understanding of who we are or are not, when we want that to complete us and present ourselves as whole to a world, that deficiency is filled with a love and a pursuit of something. I can exaggerate it, I can... I could minimize it, I could pull it out as a tool. I have this money, I have this power, I have this influence, whatever it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be money, I don't guess, but whatever it is that I covet that's, that, that's going to fill me up and pre- present me as whole, that's the root. That's where it starts. That's where you have to perform, you have to possess, you have to do a certain level of something to be acceptable, and you have to continually work the rest of your life to maintain that level of acceptability, if not exceed it. Paul says the the love of money is the root of all evil. When something you want is more important than who you harm, you're in pursuit of something that's going to really be a problem for you, and it's gonna be a lifelong problem until you stop Confess, stop, I mean, expose it to the light. Expose it to the light. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, Things you don't hear in our culture anymore. I was wrong. I really messed up. I really messed up not long ago. One of the services, we were supposed to have a time of prayer for our children. It was supposed to be, I came off a vacation, I forgot about it. It it was no excuse, but anyway. So I wrote an email to all the parents, and it it started like this. Dear parents, I messed up. (laughs) That's what we got to do. I said, well, I just got back from vacation. It really wasn't my fault, and we didn't do this, but we're going to do it next week. Come on, I messed up. Why can't we mess up? Why in the world can't we mess up? Why can't we make a mistake? If you can't make a mistake, then you have to cover it. You have to ignore it. You have to tell a story. You have to cover it over, right? Why can't we make any mistakes anymore? Whatever happened to the liberty of being imperfect and worshiping a perfect God? What's wrong with that? We have put so much pressure on public figures and celebrities and actors and actresses. We're expecting these people to be absolutely perfect. Why? I have no idea. Because they're not. There's no way these people could live up to the standard that we expect of them. Athletes is another one. Can't do it. Sorry. Just can't do it. You're supposed to win every game and be the national champion. At age 18, we've pretty much got you locked in that that's the standard you're gonna have to live with for the rest of your life. And we end up with fish stories about this play and that play and who beat who. Wow, why can't we just be messed up? You know, I talk about that bumper sticker that I love so much I saw one time. My kid is in sixth grade and he gets a 1.8 grade point average. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. What is so wrong with that? I mean, it's not great, but it's true. At least it's true. Everyone else is going through their, you know, going through their life. They all my kid gets a four point and dying. It's on my bumper sticker. No, he doesn't. And if any kid come to a graduation and I was the principal and they never missed a day of school, I'd be so upset with those parents. What is this perfect attendance? It's ridiculous. Why can't you skip school every now and again? Have some fun. Gosh. The kid ends up so neurotic and you have to, I have to counsel with him like 10 times because you parents made him perfect. You break. Oh, there is another kingdom. Thank God. The kingdom of freedom and truth. John 8 and 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does that imply? You're not free to begin with. Okay? So the first assumption we have to make about one another is we're not all free. I don't care who you think you are or who you're presenting yourself to be, you're not totally perfect. There's some area of a lack of freedom in your life, come on. Start there. So it assumes we're not all perfectly free all the time. It assumes that we need the truth, that truth will set us free. All right. Welcome to imperfection. Who did Jesus die for? The imperfect, not the perfect. If he died for the perfect, what was he doing? There isn't any the perfect but him. Enjoy your imperfections, my friend. Boast in your weaknesses. John 14 and 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. This is his big dilemma. We don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Thomas now is, is concerned with Jesus is leaving, and Thomas wants to know where he's going. Because Thomas doesn't want to be left in the lurch, because he wants to know how to get there later. This is pre-GPS. He has no idea where he's going. And he wants to know how to get there. And Jesus says, no, wait a minute. Like, it's not, I'm not trying to, I'm not going somewhere so that you could follow me and get geographical directions on where I'm headed. It's not what, that's not, you're missing it. That's not it. He says, I am the way. Like, I'm the gate. I'm the opening to the throne room of God. I am. Like, it's not something you have to go do or some direction you have to go in. I'm the one. I, I am the way. So you know me, you know that you're going to get to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. How do we get free? When it comes to having wronged people and having to go back and uh, confess, repent, ask for forgiveness, you know, that sounds good on Sunday morning. That's great, right? I wronged a customer, I didn't do something right, I wronged a person, whatever. I, I need to fess up to it. But the first thing you need to do is not do that. 
There are, you need the safety of a multitude of counselors. You don't need to impulsively, uh, in five seconds, decide how you're going to handle the problem that's been existed for 20 years. Okay? There are certain things you don't need to go confess to certain people and upset their life right here and now and ruin everything for them so that you could feel better. There's, there's some things that you got to use discretion. You don't go confessing things to a, a, a spouse who's remarried and has a wonderful life and you're going to bust into their life and out of selfishness, you're going you're to get free and, and just lay hold to a total minefield in their family and walk away. You need, you need counsel for that, okay? Obviously, you're going to go to God. You always deal with these issues of, of having been deceitful or lying or troubling to people by going vertical first. Confession, repentance, forgiveness. Horizontal, once you've figured out this is the best course of action, you confess to those you've harmed. You, you repent to, to concerning how you're going to handle the situation going forward. You're going to make restitution. Okay, here's the something. I remember one guy stole some money from another guy in the church. I had been here like 20 minutes. This is the first thing I get involved in after a suicide call. Seriously. I've been here 20 minutes. I'm dealing with a suicide call and a theft. I'm like working through this whole thing and it was a substantial amount of money. The economy was going south. People were doing things to other people. It was crazy. They were trying to maintain the illusion they had it together, even to their own families and were stealing from one another in the church. Crazy. I was like, gosh, they haven't even paid me yet. Do I have to stay here? I mean, I haven't even cashed a check. What's my commitment? I'm really, I'm saying that to myself. So I get this guy all, I tell you, straightened out. Oh, I had to deal with the drug thing too. That was neat. Um, and I got him all straightened out until we got to restitution. Oh, he's on the phone. Well, you know, I've confessed to this and I've, I've come clean and I've asked for forgiveness I know there's $25,000 involved, but I said, don't you dare. Don't you dare insult me on this telephone with what you're about to tell me. I ain't buying it. Pay up. Pay up. And he did. To his credit, he did. He did. It's amazing. There's these weights that we carry around with us. And we forget they're there. And you wonder, why am I so spiritually sluggish? Why am I so apathetic? Well, you're schlepping a 25-year whatever it is around with you, and it weighs you down. Vertical, horizontal. Now, I'm going to make a case in the next few weeks of September here. I'm going to make a case that there's a really good pattern out there to know how to help people reconcile with others and with God. And how we can attempt to use these very same principles in our own life to get free of this kind of stuff. If we really want to be free.
We're gonna start on that next week. But for right now, what is it you want? What is it you're striving for? What is it you don't think you want, but your behavior says otherwise and what you're pursuing and you must have and you must covet? What is that thing? And is that thing so daggum important that you're gonna compromise the integrity of a relationship to deceive somebody over it? To tell an untruth. Listen, fact checkers in the United States of America is becoming one of the greatest job opportunities of the future. What is it you want that you must have that you're incomplete without so you perceive that you're willing to compromise truth and remain in bondage though you get that? That's called idolatry. Idolatry. Apart from that, because I know most of you people aren't there, I get that. Who in your life desperately needs approval, attention, love, understanding, and are willing to compromise the negative reality they know they have inside and to create an illusion? Are you discerning that and do you know how to minister to that person? That's important. That's really important. And you can imagine if you come from legalism, how legalism is one iota away from lying just to remain part of the pack, just to be approved of. Two kingdoms. As our worship team comes forward, we have two kingdoms. One has no flashlight. One does. One leads to bondage, has no creativity. There's no forgiveness. There's no redemption. There's no way out. The other is, sorry to, I'm sorry to have to inform you of this. I, I'm really sorry. But this Lord we worshiped here today pretty much loves you right here, right now, as you are. That's a real problem for some of us. Seems far too easy. And if you have to paint something over with him, if you have to be Ananias and Sapphira with him, if you have to lie to him to be acceptable, what are we doing? What are we doing? You are loved. And the law of God condemns you because you can't fulfill it, though you try. I'm sorry, it was a setup. You need a redeemer. You need one who can fulfill the law that you're trying to live so hard, so, so often, so righteous, that you're willing to deceive others that you're actually doing it. And this, and this is why it's hard to get men to go to a retreat. There's your truth. There's your truth. And this is why it's so easy to get women to go to a retreat. You never stop talking. In a good way. Let me finish. Let me finish. In a good way, you share your heart, you come home, you're light as a feather. 
I just dumped half of my sin on the other women of the church. It was so great. I can't wait to get together for coffee. We're going to talk about it some more. Men are coming home. They're driving 65 and a 45 through a small town, and they're saying to themselves, why wouldn't I just share when they just basically twisted my arm to confess something? Why didn't I do it? And they go home and they're the same Whatever. (laughs) I had a Bible study Tuesday morning, and I'm going to end with this. It was on this verse, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If we knew what that word delight meant, in the Hebrew, guys, listen to me, in the Hebrew, basically the the word means be a chick. It does, and I'm saying it that way so you remember. I'm trying to get as close to offending you as I possibly can so you remember what I said. Be feminine. Be effeminate. That's what it means. You want to delight yourself in the Lord? Talk to him. Open up. Uh, appeal to his sensitivity, his, his gentleness, his tenderness, his compassion. Talk to him as your wife wants you to talk to her. That's delighting yourself in the Lord. Be effeminate. Draw upon his qualities that are most in keeping with your wife, not you. And, and, and be her with him. You'd be amazed how much better she approves of you. I'm saying this because I did it once. You, some, of you don't, some of you don't like this, but go look it up. There are certain aspects of being a man where you're most a man when you're not like the stereotypical man. Sorry, it's a scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And this is why it's hard to get men to go to a men's retreat. Because the goal for most men is to let no one in. Don't even show a crack in the armor. Don't be vulnerable in the least in hopes that you survive the thing and the snoring so you can go home, take a nap, and say you did it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's truth. There is a name for God, El Shaddai. Shad means Ghost, uh, goat breast. The publishers won't tell you this. They'll say mountainous one. Nurturing one. Compassionate one. Guys, God wants you to bring him to his sternum, to his heart, and hold you there. And nurture you like you needed when you were a little boy. He wants to bond with you. So you can be acceptable right where you are and not have to do the things that we're doing or hide the things we're hiding. Truth bomb. Boom. That's discipleship and that leads to freedom. This other thing, it's too much like the wrong kingdom. Too much, too close.
Think about that. You'll not hear that anywhere else. But think about it. I forget what all I asked you. Something about hope and joy and trust and emptiness. You let those things out of your hands and put them in the feet of Christ about 45 minutes ago. Complete the cycle. During this song, however long you need to linger up here, come up here. Kneel down and say, I'm not picking that up again, but I do need more hope. And, and I do need more joy. I do need more of you. I need to be free. In any area of my life where I'm not free, I need to be free. That's what this altar's for. For at this altar, God will alter you if you come with that kind of heart. And you're free to do that during this song. Take a deep breath before you come. Just rest in him. Just be don't do, just be. Be still and know that he is God. And you leave here. Quip with what you needed so that you can tell the truth when you walk out that door for you're complete in him. He carries on to completion that which he started until the day of Christ Jesus. Ball's in your court. Let's worship. Thank <laughs> you.